0: Good morning church family, happy Sabbath, oh, it a, it's been a great Sabbath, every time we get to be here together we're so excited, we have new elders, new head elders, Jim and Kathy I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you've done for me personally as well and as we, as we know people have to move on and new people come in, we're just so blessed of the people who God has put to serve here at Cala Mesa for, for this coming year. And this morning, I think the projector is working again, we're going to be in the book of John. So if you open your Bibles with me, John chapter 5, we're going to be going through the third sign of John. So let us read together, starting in verse 1. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic. It's called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Some translations even say those wasting away. The scene is set. Jesus has now finished his ministry down where he was in Cana, and now he's going up to Jerusalem some kind of like how sometimes when we're driving from Loma Linda, I live in Loma Linda. We we drive up to Calimesa, but for some people, you know, you guys drive from Beaumont or Calimesa down to Loma Linda. And where we see here that Jesus, he comes to this spot. Usually, as we've been reading before, he happened to be in the where the wedding was. Last week, we saw that the Jewish leader came to where Jesus was. we see this sense of intentionality here that Jesus wanted to be at this gate. He was supposed to be there. And we see that here were people that were blind, lame, paralyzed, wasting away. And this is where he wanted to be at. And here in Bethesda, right, or, you know, there's different ways how to say it. We see that uh, ultimately, there was this legendary pool that it, when the water swirled, if you were to go inside, you would be healed. So, of course, a group of six, sick people who want to, to, to get better, who want the, their lives to, to start going in a new direction are going to be surrounding it because they're waiting because they want their lives to be changed. And here in verse 5, it says, it continues, it says, one who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you not want to get well? Sometimes when we read scripture, we get this impression of of things going happening quickly. Like it's really fast. Jesus saw this man, he's like, I'm gonna heal you right now. Boom, bang, we're good to go. And now continues the next story. But what I read here in, in verse six, we see here that there is some waiting. There is some time taking place. Scripture tells them that Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned of his condition. Right? When you're learning about somebody and you, you're, you're trying to get to know them, right? you ask around. You get to know their friends. You get to know the people around, and you start asking questions about them. You take some sort of history, and you kind of figure out who he was, and that takes intentionality. That takes Jesus' All right? he's, he's looking, and he sees, and he points him out, and he's fixated on this man, and he wants to know. And, and we see this as a theme throughout the book of John. We see this, this extraordinary knowledge that Jesus has when it comes to relating to people. And in that same light, Jesus knows us as well. So we see here that he's here, he's looking, and finally he comes up to the man. All right? he's, he's there, he can't move, he's probably waiting, he's looking at the pool, And he comes up to him and he asks him this simple question, do you want to get well? 38 years is a long time. I'm not 38 years old yet, right? I'm Honestly, I'm still 11, no, 12 years away from being 38, so I can't even understand. Some of you here, I can tell you guys have been around for more than 38 years, right? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. It's the truth, right? (laughs) That's what I love about this church. A lot of wisdom here. But 38 years is a, is a long time. And in, in, in 30 years, 38 years in, in the book of Deuteronomy, we can even say for some people, it was a, it was a lifetime. It was, it was a generation. And we see here that perhaps in 38 years, this man had been here just waiting to be healed. This man had been waiting for something to happen in this life. And perhaps some of you even relate to this man. Perhaps some of you for 38 years have been waiting to be healed, have been dealing with an illness, have been dealing with sickness, and you understand exactly how he feels. And it's important to notice, too, within this verse that it doesn't specify that he was paralyzed or anything like that, most scholars just assume. Some say that his limbs had atrophied, but we find ourselves reading about a man who is both helpless and hopeless. Ellen White writes this in Desire of Ages. She says, Alone and friendless, feeling that he was shut out from God's mercy, the sufferer had passed long years of misery. At the time when it was expected that the waters would be troubled, those who pitied his helplessness would bear him to the porches. But at the favored moment, he had no one to help him in. He had seen the rippling of the water, but had never been able to get farther than the edge of the pool, others stronger than he would plunge in before him. He could not contend successfully with the selfish, scrambling crowd. His persistent efforts toward the one object and his anxiety and continual disappointment were fast wearing away the remnant of his strength. We get here a little bit of insight of what he was. This man had been waiting. This man had been filled with disappointment. He is looking at the pool and people who are stronger and just a little bit better than than he is, are getting healed, and he's just asking the question. He's just like, why can I not get into the water? And we see here, I don't think that as we look at this passage that we should be limited to the fact that this disabled man has just a physical ailment. For we know in this day and age, right, we have spiritual, mental, emotional atrophy that sometimes takes over our lives. And because of this atrophy that sometimes is around, hopelessness seems to creep in. Helplessness seems to creep in as well. And the synonym to that is perhaps despair, despair. And I can't help to think about the mental s- state of this man, right, that over and over again for 38 years, he watches the same thing to happen to people that perhaps he did not think deserved, it, or people that he's like, I need this more than they do. And he's struggling with this year after year, and he's dealing with this mental damage that might be happening. And it makes me think how sometimes we as a church family perhaps aren't paying attention to the people around us. That we're not looking and we're saying this person needs help. That sometimes we, instead of of looking and helping, we are paralyzed by ourselves, by what's going around us, and we don't think we know what to say or what to do when anxieties fill the room with the people in our lives. And as we look on, right, we see that Jesus comes into this man's life, and he asks him this question. Do you want to get well? His question is is straightforward. There's no beating around the bush, right? There's no psychological analysis, right? There's no, do you really want to be healed? It's straightforward. Jesus is just asking him, what do you want? What can I do for you? And then we see his response. Verse 7, it says, Sir, the invalid replied, Invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. See, from the, you would think that as soon as Jesus asked him this question, he would say, yes, I want to be healed. Lord, I need to be healed. I've been waiting for this. But we see none of that in this scripture, in this, in this text. We see rather the fact that this man is saying, How? Who? Are you going to be the one? At first look, we can kind of look at the man and we can kind of think, oh, man, this man has no faith, right? But of course he wants to be healed. This is not an indictment of him. This is an indictment of the society of that time that rather than help the people who were around, they rather help themselves. When we look at this text, we sometimes look at him and be like, how can you talk to Jesus like that? And we have to realize he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't realize that he was talking to the savior of the world. And all he's asking for is someone to help him get into the pool, which is amazing. He's just looking for somebody to look out for him. Then we go on, verse eight, it says, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and walked. I love this story, right? Because I always love this. I said at once, right? In Luke, the word he uses a lot is immediately. In John, it's at once, right? It happened so fast. The man didn't even realize what was happening right before his eyes. And Jesus is telling him, pick up your mat and walk. This, tell, this story tells us of Jesus coming to us when we're in pain. Alone, desperate, unable to help ourselves. It speaks of Jesus picking us out of a crowd and choosing us. That sheepskate, the Bethesda, it was it was huge. Five colonnades means a huge space, and people were waiting for one whirl of the pull for them to get in. And Jesus, out of all of those people, looked at this man, and at the same way, out of all the people in this world, he looks at us two individually. And he says, Do you want to be healed? but this man had no one to put him in the pool, right? He was cast aside from society, had no faith, no knowledge of Jesus, no faith, no trust in him. This man did not even ask for help, but he's the one chosen out of the crowd and healed. And we're able to read about Jesus' astonishing grace, for he is healed. And I love this story because it's, it's relatable. It's easy to understand. We can see Jesus' power. We can point out so many, so, so many different things within the text, which are so beautiful. Jesus never gives up on us. He's always there for us. He's looking at us individually, and I love it. But then we get to the end of verse 9, and we see the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Sabbath. And now we all know what this means. Verse 10, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. You can feel this shift in the text here, right? This text is no longer soaring on the wings of hope. Rather, it's now plummeted on the ground with a thud. Right? The, 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 the essence, the grace, everything which was so good about this text has now been sucked away and we find ourselves saying the law forbids you from carrying your mat. And it's so interesting, right, because I think about it sometimes. I ask myself the question, why did Jesus decide to say, pick up your mat? He could have just said, go. Or he could have just said, hey, 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 just stay here one more day, right? You're healed, just, just relax, right? I got you. Could have come back another day. But there is this emphasis that is being made for Jesus to do it right here, right now. And As as you know, it's right here. It says the law forbids you to carry your mat. And I cannot help but think that Jesus is saying that you have to be removed from this place. You are no longer supposed to be here. I have something special for you. You now must go on and move forward. And I love that. But the Jewish leaders here, they don't agree with that sentiment, right? They're like, guess what? You're not doing the right thing, all right? Tell me about this. And we keep on reading, right? And it says, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk, right? So naturally, this 38-year invalid, he thought that the man who told him to walk had authority, Right? He had some sort of authority because he had told him to walk. So he just thinks, oh man, I have to listen to him 100%. I have to do what he's told me to do. And he is, but now he finds himself in this confused state. And rather than rejoicing, right, rather than rejoicing with him, we see that the, that the Jewish leaders are just killing what has happened here. And we ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus decide to do it then? We realize here that Jesus does not work in a faraway land, but he works in a real city, right, among real people in the real world. He works in a world tangled with complex systems and powers with closely held beliefs and values. So we see that Jesus here is working in a world that does not always want to display the power which God has, but rather has the, wants its own power to triumph over his Jesus works in a world that often prefers the status quo rather than what he has in store for them. And we see this. Jesus easily could have just said, no, I'll wait later. No, but there is an emphasis here to heal this man on the Sabbath day. We see verse 13, it says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Leslie Newbegin uh, writes in his book *The Light to Come*. He's a British the- theologian. He, wrote- he writes this: it's, It seems to have been accepted by the rabbis that God's Sabbath did not rest. Did not God's Sabbath rest did not mean that He had ceased to give life. For babies are born on the Sabbath, and rain falls. God is always even on the Sabbath the giver of life. We see here, he's the giver of life even on the Sabbath day. This man was was waiting. 38 years. He was waiting, he was searching, he had gone to the pool, he had been close, close enough, but didn't make it. And then comes this man who he had never met, who... We could even say he didn't have any faith in and he says, do you want to be healed? And then he pretty much gives them an excuse on why he's not healed. And then the Pharisees are, are in this place and they're not happy. They're like, what are you doing? You're breaking the law. But ultimately, church family, what we see is that God is always, even on the Sabbath, the giver of life. And I cannot help but love that phrase. Because sometimes we find ourselves in places when it comes on the Sabbath. Should we help this person? Should we not? At that moment, Jesus knew exactly what that man needed. And he knew that he could not wait another day. He knew that because of how he knows us, that this was the moment which he needed to be healed. And then we keep on reading in verse 14. Later, Jesus found at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So Jesus heals him, doesn't know who Jesus is, sees the man who heals him again, and decides to tell on him. Pretty interesting, right? I'm going to tell on you because he was confused. He didn't know what to do. He wanted to be happy, but at the same time the leaders around him told him that he's not supposed to be this way. What is wrong with you? You're doing the wrong thing. There's no there's no word of thanksgiving, right? There's no no thank you for healing me like we see in other parables, right? We don't, we, we see no genuine faith now that he sees Jesus face to face that we had in the last one either that he believed. There's none of that in this text. It's a different. It just says he went away. And in a way, he told them who had made him well, and it was Jesus. But this just shows exactly who Jesus is, right? We see here that the mark of the Messiah, right, this third sign, John reminds readers that the Messiah must heal, deliver, and encourage with, without regard for the accolades or acceptance, the matter of the fact is that the Messiah and Jesus always heals and is there even at times when it leads to contention and disbelief and conflict. And we get this different perspective on who this man was in this, in this third sign of John. So my question for you this morning is this. When we read this text, and when we look at it and we, we deep dive and, and we read it, what are we gonna look at? Are we gonna look at the fact that, John, that, that Jesus decided to heal on the Sabbath and, and that that means that we give life to people and that as our jobs, as a community with people who are sick are to come together and be with one another in those times of need? You know, since I've been here at Cala Mesa, one of the things that has stood out to me is the love that the fact that people come here when healing is needed. That people come here because they have heard the story of a community that in times of need, it's able to bring people together, and that is why we stay here. We heard the story of our elders, right? We, I've heard the story from Chuck and Terry. That this is a place that people can come at the, when, when they just need prayer, when they need a family, that they need a community to come and hold on to, and every time I hear the stories, it just, it just gives me goosebumps because I'm like, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what church is. It's a small por- portion of community that we have. But then I think about the Gate at Bethesda, and I think about those people, and I think about how do we make what we have here and what we know we have here at Cal Mesa, ready and acceptable for everybody to come and feel it. Because we know that people are hopeless and helpless in this world at times. We know of people who are struggling. And, and, and sometimes it is hard because you're, you just want to say, if you're struggling, if you're hurt right now, just come to Cala Mesa Church. Come to Cala Mesa Church and I, prom- I can't promise you you'll be healed. But I can't promise you that there's a community here that wants to pray with you and wants to be with you no matter what happens in your life. And I think about that. I think about what? Is our question. What are we called to do when we read this verse? You know, Cala SDA Church on this hill. Not at this hill. I always think it's up the hill. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I always do because I drive up every day, all right? So that's how I always see it. But as we drive up, I think of it in this community that we live in. This is the place people need to be not because we have the best worship, not because we preach the right theology, not because we are the coolest people in the world, but because the people here genuinely care for your well-being. And they will give you the phone call. They will pray for you. They will look at you. They will ask you the question, what can I do for you? Because ultimately, that's what I always think about is Jesus' simple question, do you want to get well? We're not like Jesus, right? We can't say yes, the answer is yes, okay, I got you, I'll heal you. But what we do have control of, when we ask this question, what can I do for you? What do you need? We can do everything in our power as a community. We can do everything in our power as a church to look at that person and say, okay, I may not be able to solve all your problems, but in my little sphere of what I can control, I will help you with what I can. And when every single person comes together, giving a little bit of themselves, eventually it makes somebody full. And it is in that light, when I look at this text, I see a church that is called to continue to look out for everybody. Jesus wanted to be at that place because he was looking for that specific someone. Perhaps there's a person in your life right now that that God has put on your heart, and you're like, this is the person that I need to be intentional about. This is the person that I'm I'm looking at, and I just want to be there for them. So what do you do? How do you do? You keep on asking, you keep on looking, and eventually you ask them the question: Do you want to get well? What can I do for you? May God bless you always. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just so grateful for what you've given us, Lord. We're so grateful that you've given us this this church and this community, community, Lord, and I just pray that as you showed us in John 5 today, that we can continue to go out and search for those who need help. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.